So tonight we're looking at faith accessing faith, uh, grace. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, this is, this is just a subject that's just been rolling on the inside of me. You know, because I mentioned it a little bit on Sunday. I think so often we... Uh, we get a hold of something new, and it's truth. But we, we think we have to release everything that we've, we've already heard. But the thing that I've found is the Bible says we go from glory to glory. It means we build on one truth upon another truth upon another truth. You know, I, I grew up in a denomination, and when I left that denomination, I left because of a lot of what they didn't teach. But I've realized over the years that where I am today was built upon much of what I heard as a child, what I heard in that denomination. And, uh, you know, since being born again and since hearing truth, you know, um, the word of faith message and you know, right now we're kind of in a period where there's a real strong emphasis on grace. And thank God for the grace message. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But you know what? I've found that the more that I've got into the message of grace, the more significant and more important the message of faith was. You know, and in doing so, I went back and I've, I've read and studied some of Brother Hagin's stuff and realized what a revelation he had of grace. You know, his message that he preached was by and large faith, because that was the, the call that was given to him by God, told him, go teach this generation faith. But he had a, he had a, he had a handle on grace as well. And so tonight I want to talk about how faith accesses grace. And so when somebody thinks they're going to walk in grace, but they don't employ faith, um, they're, they're greatly deceived and they're going to be disappointed. Because Galatians says, actually it's in Ephesians, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And so it's grace through faith. Healing is a grace of God, but we receive it by faith. Prosperity is a grace of God, but we receive it by faith. Relational restoration is a grace of God, but we receive it by faith. Deliverance is a grace of God, but we receive it by faith. And so the graces have all been poured out in our hearts. They belong to us, but we access them, we receive them by grace, or by faith. And so, <clears throat> we're really deceived if we come to the place or we're in that place where we think we don't need faith any longer because, again, as I said on, on Sunday, <clears throat> uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. And so faith is very important. So I want to I talk about that tonight. Um, and in the same context with that, you know, 
looking at our notes, um, someone may ask, well, then why did God give all of these commandments if salvation is just by grace? Because it is by grace. It's not by anything that we've done. We have a good, good father. It's who he is. And we're, I'm loved by him. That's who I am. My identity is that I'm loved of God. You know, and, and that, that's really so important. I think one of the hindrances of so many believers is they don't realize how much they're truly loved. And when we get a revelation of how much God loves us, that's when we can get a real, really get a revelation of how much He's given us, of how much He's, he's provided for us. And so it's extremely important. So if you've got your Bible, it's in your notes, but like I've said before, I prefer reading it right out of my Bible. But in Romans, the third chapter, in the 31st verse, the very end of the chapter is where we're going to start tonight. It says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And the reason that we don't make the law void because of faith is, is the law had a purpose, and we've talked about that. We've talked about how the law was given um, to convict the sinner of sin. Uh, we would not know that we needed a Savior if it were not for the law. And so the law has a purpose, and, and faith doesn't void the law. Um, as it says here, on the contrary, it actually establishes the law. And then we go into the fourth chapter in the first verse and says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, is found according to the flesh? You know, and of course, <clears throat> prior to what we just read and what we're going to be talking about here once again, uh, we're going to be talking about circumcision, so it's talking about in the flesh. Well, you know, when, it's, when, when the Bible's talking about the flesh, a lot of times it's talking about the law because that's what the law addresses. It addresses the flesh. It isn't dealing with the, the spiritual part of man. It's dealing with the flesh part of man. And really, you know, what the law was able to reveal to the children of Israel when the law was given to them was how in the flesh, in the natural, they were totally incapable of keeping the law. They were, they were not... They were not able to do it in their own strength and in their own, own ability. And so that's the significance, that's the importance of where, where the flesh and all of that comes in. And so that's what he's talking about here. And so then we go on into the second verse and it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, if Abraham was justified by the works, and so now he's, He's talking about the flesh. Where does, where, does, where does works come in? Works come into the flesh. You know, and, and so when we're trying to gain the favor of God by our works, that's the flesh that's in operation. We're trying to do it in a fleshly way. We're trying to do it through um, the flesh. And so he says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, 
but not before God. If he's able to accomplish something in, in the flesh, he, he, <clears throat> that's why we have nothing to boast about. Because it isn't about what we've done in the flesh. It's about what Jesus did for us through the Spirit. And so <clears throat> we have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to be proud about. You know, our, our identity is in what Jesus has accomplished for each and every one of us. And then in the third verse, he says, For what does the Spirit say? And then he, he begins to quote from Genesis 15. He's, he's given us a quote from Genesis, the 15th chapter here, as to what was said concerning Abraham. And it says, For, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Because he believed God. Not because of his works, not because of some physical event. It was because he believed. You know, in a little bit, we're going to be looking, because we're going to talk about, it's going to talk about circumcision here, how Abraham was considered righteous before God before his circumcision was ever given. The reason that that is so important is in the time that frame, that in, in what we're talking about here in the Roman church, is <clears throat> many times what they would do, and, and we, saw, we saw that when we went through the book of Galatians, verse by verse. We saw it in Galatians, how they said, <clears throat> it's not enough to just simply pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not enough to be just simply born again. You also must be circumcised. And so they, they added a works of the flesh to salvation. Well, we have, the, we have the same thing that goes on today. We have the same thing where people say, well, faith is not enough. It's our, our actions. What we do is significant, that we fulfill certain obligations, that we fulfill certain rules. In some cases, it's fulfill certain festivals or whatever it may be, that we worship on a certain day. And so we've got to fulfill that because it's not, because whether they say it or not, what, what's being implied there is receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. What he did was not enough. That there's still something that we have to do to add to that. And so what Paul is doing here in Romans <clears throat> is with these Romans, he's, he's dispelling that. He's saying that that's not the case. And he's using Abraham as an example here because they're trying to say that in addition to receiving Jesus, you've got to be circumcised. And he's saying, well, Abraham was reckoned or Abraham was accounted as righteous years before circumcision was ever given. And so it can't possibly be attributed to that. And so it says... Again, I'm going to just start in the first part of verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. Now, We've got to keep this in the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about those that say that there's something that we need to do to add to our salvation. And he says, if we're working for it, 
then it's, it's not a grace that's coming into our life, it's a debt. And you know, it's an interesting thing about a debt. A debt has to be paid. But you know what? <clears throat> God's not ob obligating himself to bring blessing into our life because of something that we've done. It's all based on what Jesus has done, what he's already done, what he's already accomplished for each and every one of us. And then he goes on into the fifth verse and he says, because, you know, you've heard me say this before, I don't, I don't want what I've earned. I want what I haven't earned. I want the grace of God. And then the fifth verse says, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And so he's saying, the one who hasn't worked but the one who believes, because he believes, it's laid to his account as righteousness. He's considered righteous. He's declared righteous. Now, of course, I can't ever stop there because we're not reckoned as righteous. We're not considered righteous. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we became righteous. It says in Corinthians, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so because of what Jesus did for us, <clears throat> it isn't even as it's talking here that we're just considered to be righteous, even though we're not. We are righteous because of what Jesus did for us. And it's so important, so significant for us to get a hold of that truth because if we don't get a hold of that truth, our, our entire existence as a Christian is going to be a struggle. There's nothing worse, worse as a Christian than trying to get right with God. Because it seems like an absolute impossibility. Because all of our efforts are unfruitful. Because we already are. We're trying to attain something that we already have. We're trying to be something that we already are. And it was accomplished through Christ Jesus. And, and that's why these, this teaching on grace, the power of the gospel, is so very important for us to get. I know this has lingered out for a long time. We only got about four more weeks to go, and everybody says, praise the Lord. You know, you know, but, but the reason why it's, so, it, it's, it's stretched out so much and we're hitting every little detail of it is because it's so important. If we can get a hold of this, it can revolutionize our lives. We no longer have to live a life of insecurity, inferiority. We no longer have to live a life of fear. We can have a life of confidence knowing what Jesus has fulfilled, what he's accomplished for each and every one of us. And that's, that's our intent in this study. As we move on into, into verse 6, um, it's David's, David prophesied and described the day that you and I live in when the gospel was preached. So David was foretelling of the day that we now live in. And so in verse 6 it says, Just as David 
also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputed righteousness apart from works. Our sin was laid on Jesus and and righteousness was laid on us. But it was separate, it was apart from our works. And so this is what, what David said in Psalms 32. He said, blessed are those who law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, or, for, or are forgiven. Can I hear a praise the Lord? Our lawless deeds are forgiven. It's, it's speaking of the day that you and I live in right now, the dispensation that we're in, the dispensation of grace. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Well, thank God our sins aren't simply covered. Our sins are washed away. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And so sin has not been imputed against us. Our sins were taken upon the cross with Jesus Christ. And so we are, we are set free of it. It no longer has dominion over us. And what we need to see is that it wasn't just a portion of our sin. It was all of our sin. Past, present, future. All of our sin was laid on Jesus. And I know a lot of people have difficulty with, with that. That our future sins have already been laid on Jesus. But the thing that we need to understand is when Jesus died on the cross and took upon himself all of our sin, all our sin was future. And he took it all so that we might be free, so that we might be whole. You know, in the, 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 the great debate, do we have to confess our sins? Well, if we have to confess our sins, we're probably in trouble. Because I don't know about you, I don't, I don't know that I can remember every sin that I've ever committed. And so if I'm obligated to forgive every sin, and <clears throat> I, I know I'm not as holy and sanctified as all of you, but <clears throat> I screw up periodically on a regular basis. And it's not always clear at the moment. But you know what? I eventually come to my senses. But you know, my sin is already forgiven. And I do address it. But I address it from the standpoint, Father, I thank you that through the blood of Jesus, that stupidity on my part has already been washed away. It's already been taken care of. I just ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give me greater wisdom and understanding so that I avoid the stupidity. Give me the strength to carry on and rise above it in every situation. Now, is that confessing my sin? Well, if, if you want to call it that, I don't consider it is. I'm, I consider it acknowledging what God has already done for me. You see, there's that. we ought to be doing that all the time. We don't, we don't have to pray for healing. 
We need to acknowledge that by the stripes of Jesus, we've already been healed. We don't have to pray for prosperity, but we do need to acknowledge on a regular basis that my needs are met according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. I acknowledge what he's already done for me. And the times that I acknowledge the moat, most is when there's an attack upon my body. Remember when Brother Hagen was alive, hearing him share one time how <clears throat> he hadn't had the flu for 25 years. Hadn't had a headache for 25 years. And then he paused and he says, but I've had a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of opportunities that are laid before us. But what do we do with that opportunity? Do we yield to it? Or do we declare, if it's sickness, by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. If it's lack, my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If we've done something that we know we shouldn't have done, that was laid upon Jesus on the cross and I'm forgiven. And I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and Jesus, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And so we acknowledge that. It isn't sticking our head in the sand and saying that we don't ever recognize when we do something wrong. There isn't anything in Scripture that implies that in any way, shape, or form. But what it does tell us is that Jesus has already paid the price for it. And so we don't have to live a life of guilt and shame and fear of failure because we already have the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so David is acknowledging, he's saying, this is what's available, which this is what's coming in that time after the cross. In Psalms, don't lose your place in Romans because we're going to come right back there. But in Psalms 51, verse 12, not 12, 16, it says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. <clears throat> you know, when, when we were in the Philippines, um, during Easter, they would literally, and they considered to be such an honor, they would take individual and they would literally nail them to the cross. And they considered it to be such a privilege to be able to suffer for Jesus. And there would be people for their penance, they would crawl on their knees and on their belly uh, through the streets to the cathedral as penance for their sins and for their for their wickedness and for their failings and shortcomings. And they would literally be bloodied. And all of it in the attempt to appease an angry God. Well, you know what? Our God's anger was taken care of forever concerning you and me. 
It was taken out on Jesus on the cross. It was taken on, out on Jesus on the whipping post when he was whipped beyond human description. And he did all that for you and I. And so this is what he's really making reference to. I believe what he's making reference to here in this. He says, I do not desire sacrifice. And there's people that make such great sacrifices and they think in the sacrifice they're going to be so pleasing to God. You know, God's been <clears throat> speaking to me about one of my least favorite subjects. Fasting. But see, it's not about me moving God. Now, how many of you know, can you tell, that for me, to not eat would be a sacrifice? But the sacrifice isn't about moving God. It's about moving me. It's about getting my attention. It's about getting me to the place where I'm not focusing on the food. I'm focusing on my Savior. It's not me trying to move God. It's about me getting in line with God. I don't remember who I, maybe I said it, I don't remember, but somebody said one time, fasting without prayer is just a hunger strike. Because the fasting with prayer, it's, it's always fasting and praying. And the reason for it is that in our prayer life, our attention is focused away from the things of the world. And our focus is upon God. And it's not to move God, but it's to get me in line with Him. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, um, for you do not, for you, and this is speaking to God, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. So those sacrifices of the old covenant, they didn't really appease anything. It was simply a, a substitute and what they were to, to do is to direct their attention forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when there would finally be a perfect sacrifice. Let me tell you something. If what Jesus did on the cross was not enough, then we ought to have an altar up front and we ought to be bringing sheep and goats and calves. We ought to be bringing them in on a regular basis to burn them as a sweet sacrifice unto the Lord. But it's, see, we don't have to. It always confuses me. I mean, I, I'm even confused with the Jews. Why are they not still performing animal sacrifice? If Jesus was not the answer, why are they not still performing the rituals? And I'm not talking to the festivals when we get to party. I'm talking about the elements that really required a sacrifice. Let me tell you something. Mike, as a farmer, if you had to <clears throat> sacrifice 
the first fruits of all of your labors on a regular basis, that'd be a sacrifice. Why aren't we making those sacrifices? And if I'm not a farmer, that would mean I would have to go to the money changers outside the temple and buy a goat, a sheep, a lamb, whatever was required with my deal. Why, why aren't we still doing that? I'll tell you why we're not still doing that. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus fulfilled not a portion of the requirements, all of the requirements. You know, yesterday morning I was, I was listening to Matthew Hagee, that's John Hagee's son. And uh, <clears throat> it was a message from 2017. And it must have been his Palm Sunday message of 2017, and, uh, or, or Holy Week anyway. But he was talking about when Jesus sent his disciples to get the donkey. And he says, Jesus was so specific about the donkey that they were to get for him to ride in town on. And he says, you know, we, we look at this and we think, well, you know, they walked into town. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen it in the movie, but in the movie they show it and they, they come in and the streets are completely bare except this donkey and this little coat. They're tied up. He says, everybody had donkeys. Our streets are full of cars. Their streets were full of donkeys. And so Jesus was very specific. He told them, exactly where the donkey would be tied. He said there would be this uh, little coat that had never been ridden. They're tied next to the donkey and that they were to bring them. And he says it was all because it was a fulfillment of prophecy of Jeremiah. And it was fulfilled to the T. We're speaking Hebrew to the jot and the tittle. Completely fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled every prophetic scripture that was given concerning the Messiah. The only prophetic scripture concerning the Messiah that's left to be fulfilled is Jesus cracking the sky and coming back for the church. Other than that, it's, it's fulfilled. Jesus did it. He did it all. And he didn't do it partially. <clears throat> Why can't we get a hold of that? Jesus completed works, completed it, fulfilled it. And here, back in, in Psalms again, it says, for you did not desire sacrifice. You see, <clears throat> that wasn't the ultimate desire. The ultimate desire was for their sins to be completely wiped out. But it couldn't be done until there was the perfect sacrifice that was Jesus. And so this is just simply, those sacrifices, I don't know how to say this in a religious way. It was just filling the gap until Jesus got there. It was just making do until Jesus got there. It just covered it over 
till Jesus got there. And Jesus wiped it out. Aren't you glad you live in this time? I'm so thankful that I didn't have to get a hold of a steer or even a dove and take it to the, to the butcher so they could burn it on the fire. We're so blessed. And you know, we're not in a place where we're trying to get God to forgive us. He's forgiven us completely. For you did not desire sacrifice or else I would have given it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit. Now, now don't, don't misread this and read into it. It isn't saying we're supposed to be walking along, you know, I'm just so rotten and no good. No, what, what, is a, what is a broken spirit? A broken spirit is a spirit that recognizes without Jesus, I am absolutely nothing. But you know what? With him, I can do all things. That's the attitude that we need to have. I mean, I, I recognize, I, I talked to the guys the other night at the prison. I says, you know, they, they think that we're so weak, we Christians, because we, we've got to have something to be, we, to, to depend upon. We can't make it on our own. And I qualify. I'm weak. I need a crutch. I need two crutches. Under one arm, I've got the Word. I've got Jesus. In the other arm, I've got the Holy Ghost. And I have no idea how I could ever function without them. Does that mean that I'm weak and dependent? Probably. So let me testify before you tonight. I'm weak and I'm dependent. I'm weak on my own, but I can do all things from, through Christ Jesus. I'm dependent upon my Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you know what? It's a wonderful place to be. Because I look at the world and I see the world is not dependent upon Jesus. The world isn't dependent upon the Holy Ghost. And they're a, la they're a, they're a mess. It's a literal mess. I watched the news for five minutes. My only thought is this whole place is going to hell in a handbasket. But not me. I'm going the other direction. My home's in heaven. I've already got a residence up there. And I'm ready at any time. Some days I'm readier than others. But you know what? We're not, we're not moved by what this world is moved by. Because we have hope where they have no hope. Where they have fear, we have no fear. Because we know that we can, we can depend completely upon Jesus. Going back to Romans, the fourth chapter again. Let's pick it up on the ninth verse. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith is accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? 
while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And so his point is, how did Abraham become righteous in the eyes of God if it's dependent upon a physical act when he had not experienced that physical act when God declared, I consider you righteous. And so the argument is about what's really necessary for us to be reckoned or for us to be considered righteous. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, the righteousness might be imputed to them also. And so he's saying it has, it had nothing to do with the works of the flesh. Now again, we, we, we back up and we say, well, this is just, this is just historic. This is just history. This is just given an account of what Abraham encountered so that we might have an understanding of it. But we've got to understand why is Paul bringing it up at this time? It's because there are those that were around them that were saying that salvation isn't enough. There are those today that are saying simple faith in Christ Jesus isn't enough. And what's so ironic about it is that they would deny that they're saying that. But yet then they say that and then they add to it what we need to do if we're going to really have favor and if we're really going to walk with God. You're saved. You have favor with God. You have a life in Jesus Christ because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now as a result of that, there's a change that takes place in each of our lives. See, the problem as a Christian isn't incorporating and applying rules and regulations in our life. The problem in a, as a Christian is not knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. Because if I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I am the righteousness of God in Christ, I begin to live as a righteous man. If I know that I have the victory because of the completed works of, of Jesus, if I have a revelation of all that he's provided for me, that it belongs to me now, what happens? I begin to walk in it. I begin to live in it. I begin to call those things that be not as though they were. And though I may not yet see the manifestation of it in my life, I still believe that it belongs to me. And I walk by faith. In other words, I don't allow fear to grip and dominate me in the process where patience is working, as Brother Jerry Savelle would put it, from the amen to the there it is. Because when we believe God, that's where the amen comes in. The there it is 
is when we see the manifestation of it. Faith is that period of time in between. It may be seconds, maybe days, maybe weeks, it may be years. Well, praise the Lord, you're really make, giving me hope right now. But it's the truth. But we stand. That's why the Bible says, when you've done all to stand. I like to put it this way. When you've done everything you know to do, do it. But then continue to stand. Why? Because we know that he's true to his word. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. You know, <clears throat> I think it's in your notes. Yeah. The holy things that we do are byproducts, fruit of our relationship with God, not the root of it. The root which causes a tree or a plant to stand firm no matter what the conditions are around about it. The root is what holds it strong. What holds us upright when everything is trying to knock us over is knowing the love of God. Knowing that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we're loved, we're forgiven, that we have the victory. The result of that root is that we begin to we begin to see the fruit. And sometimes we think, well, you know, because that, that person has such joy in their life, they must, they must have a very strong faith. Well, it could be, because joy can be the fruit of that. But if they look at that as root, what happens is the moment that they lose their joy, they lose all hope because they have nothing to cling to. We have joy because we know the love of God. And our joy may waver, but when we know the love of God, it never wavers. It's always true, it's always the same. Same yesterday, today and forever. That's where our hope lies. Let's drop down a little bit to verse 23. Romans 4.23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. Talking about Abraham, that it wasn't written just simply for his sake. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us to, be, imputed to, us to believe in him who raised up Jesus Christ Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offense and raised because of our justification. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are justified. Justification or righteousness is imputed to us. It's placed upon us. It's, it's part of who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 5 
or chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. How are we justified? See, the point he's making here, you're not justified by circumcision. Or we could say it this way. We're not justified by keeping laws, by keeping rules, by keeping regulations. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we've been justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the completed works of Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And so it isn't just grace. We have access to that grace by faith. Faith cannot reach out and take for itself that which it does not know about. Faith is limited to the extent that we know what the will of God is. And so if I don't know what the will of God is in a particular area, it's impossible to reach out and receive it, to take it by faith. But once we've studied the Word and we've found out what the will of God is, we can take a stand on it. No matter what we see in the natural, no matter what we see in the physical, we can stand in faith because we have the Word on it. And so faith is able to reach out and take it and receive it for self because it knows what the will of God is. And that's where, you know, the hope rises up. Look back in Matthew, Jesus was speaking. Matthew, the 11th chapter. And Jesus makes this statement. It's a bold and marvelous statement. But he says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But you know what? You hear so much teaching today, and you would think that it was just exactly the opposite of that. Oh, it's so hard serving God. It's so difficult. It's such a burden to, 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 to try to serve God. No, it's not. The reason it becomes difficult is because we try to do it in our own strength. You know, here he's, he's talking about rest for our soul. Of course, we know our souls, our mind, will, and our emotions. But when we labor within ourselves, we struggle so hard within ourselves, there's no rest there. You know, and of course, Hebrews, we're not studying Hebrews tonight, but in Hebrews it talks about how Jesus, 
is our Sabbath rest. How and, and under the in the old covenant, they, the the seventh day, the Sabbath day, was their day of rest. And what were they to rest from? They were to rest from all of their labors. And what was the point of all of their labors? The point of all of their labors was to serve and find favor with God. Now we, under the new covenant, Jesus, our Sabbath is not a day. Our Sabbath is a person. Our Sabbath is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to enter in to that Sabbath rest, which is to rest from our labors. That means I'm no longer laboring to find favor with God. Why? Because I have it. Because it's already accomplished. And so I rest in Jesus, having the confidence, having the assurance that he's done it all. That there's nothing left for me to do. And so my life then isn't a life of labor, isn't a life of trying. My life is simply a life, how do I say it? Serve, follow up. I just follow him. Do what he's called me, what he's directed me to do. That's where the victory lies in every area of our life. Let's finish up here. Romans 5, 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why do we continue on? Because we have hope. Because we rely completely, totally upon Him. And he does not, will not disappoint us. Where did I stop reading? Six. Okay, six. Let's pick up there. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For, for scarcely... For a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paid the price. We didn't clean ourselves up. He died for us and cleaned us up. He did it all. It's Christ alone.
for salvation. As I heard a preacher say one time, it's, um, how did he put it? Faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. It's where it lies, totally in him. Well, praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Aren't you thankful that we don't have to have a butcher shop outside the church? I, I love meat, you know, and so, you know, the only, the only wonderful part about it was, would be that I'd get to be able to take my fork and stick it in and take the best of the, of the, the meat. No. Well, you know, they, they say that, you know, they want to rebuild the temple. You know, of course, the temple, you know, isn't there because that's where the dome is. Right. The, you know, and so um, there's many that believe that um, in the end times that, there, that sacrifice will be restored. But right now there isn't. As, I mean, the only sacrifice there is is when they celebrate Passover. They still kill the Passover lamb. But they don't, they don't do the other animal sacrifice. If they do, I'm not aware of it. You know, and when we were there, we saw, no, saw absolutely no indications of that whatsoever. And so, for, for me, that, that's, always been, that's always been confusing to me. You know, and you know, if, if we're going to live by the law, then we have to keep the whole law. You know, how do we pick and choose which parts of it we're going to consider relevant for today? And <clears throat> we do our best is not a qualifier. The only qualification is perfection. Because if you fail in one point, you fail in all of it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be a mess. Man, I'd be a murderer. I'd be, I mean, what I would be. But I'm not. I'm righteous because of Jesus. And so we put our trust and confidence completely in him. Be blessed. Have a marvelous day. And snow, snow, go away. Come back another year. Because they're talking about it the weekend again. Well, I, I saw my, my niece put online a...